The Hill Talks, a podcast by The Hill Talk. Hello, hello. I'm Juan Ben Jr., your host, bringing you three stories you need to know. Coming from the nation's oldest black collegiate newspaper. This week, a couple of new faces have joined the ranks on Howard's campus, and the Bison men's swim team prepares for a new season. Without further ado, let's get into it. Howard's new president, Dr. Ben Vincent III, is all moved in, and J.D. Jean-Jacques, our campus editor at the Hilltop, sat down with him in his office to talk about his plans for the university. J.D., Vincent said that he doesn't plan on changing Howard. Instead, the new president wants to use his previous experiences at other universities like Case Western Reserve and Johns Hopkins to enhance the school. How exactly does he plan on doing that? Yeah, absolutely. Well, first of all, thank you for having me on, Juan. You know, I think it's an exciting time for Howard having a new president in Dr. Vincent. And to your point, he did mention that he wants to kind of enhance the university and bring some things that he learned from prior universities to Howard. He's worked at five other institutions of higher education. And one thing that he said in particular that stood out to me was that he wants to help Howard elevate its research enterprise. You know, universities and colleges are ranked, they have this kind of classification where there's R1 universities and R2 and there's R3. And R1 is the highest level of research enterprise. And so he spoke to kind of trying to make strides towards raising the research enterprise in humanities, in, um, you know, medical fields and STEM all across the board. And he also noted, uh, you know, Howard secured a contract last year with the Pentagon. And that was kind of a step towards reaching the R1 classification. So elevating the research enterprise is one thing. He also mentioned raising the graduation rates, um, being very attentive to campus safety and things of the nature, and also improving the student experience and optimizing student services. You mentioned there briefly that one of his priorities during his time here at Howard now as our president is safety. Howard has made headlines, DC has made headlines around the rise of crime that residents are experiencing in the city. How exactly does President Vincent plan on addressing safety? Yeah, well, some things he mentioned was to bring in a lot more technology around campus. He mentioned cameras so that students know that they're being protected, that the Howard University Department of Public Safety is watching and very aware of what's going on. So he did mention those things. But he also said this one thing. He said, we also want our students to do some of the basics, some of the ABCs of safety. Don't walk down, you know, a dark, ominous alleyway at midnight, right? You know, don't go anywhere dark that without any people with you. You know, make sure that you have your phone on you in case you need to call police. So this relationship that Dr. Vincent mentioned, but also I remember speaking to Chief Lyles, the chief of, of Howard's police department mentioned the relationship between students and public safety working together to kind of cultivate a safe campus. And so students will need to be mindful of things like not leaving doors propped open of dorms or not inviting people from the D.C. community into dormitories or into buildings. So he mentioned the collaboration, but also some things that he's looking to do involving technology and cameras around campus. Now, Vincent has a background in history. He's a historian, which is very different from our previous president, who was a medical doctor. Vincent is a historian who has written extensively about the Latin American and African diaspora. So I wonder, how do you think his background as a historian will influence his leadership? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, I remember interviewing him when he was selected as president back in April. And one of the things he said is that he's a very voracious reader. And he loves reading and that he would be very 
much looking forward to reading everything he can about Howard in the next several months in the lead up to his holding the presidential office. And in his convocation speech, he kind of quoted people from history, which was another kind of note to him being a historian. So I think, you know, a couple of things. One is being a historian, when you learn about the past, you kind of understood what has led to the present. You have understood what's led to the Howard that it is today. And you can kind of take from the past, the good things, and you can kind of try to avoid the bad things from it. And you can also understand a little bit of the traje trajectory of Howard, of HBCUs, of the country, and where you think Howard should be placed in a national discussion, in a national fight for democracy. It could be voting rights. It could be whatever. I spoke to Professor Wright Lewis, who's the interim chair of the history department. She said that this is the perfect time for a historian to leave the university because it's perfectly aligned with where we are as a university, where we are as a country, and the global needs that confront this country. So I think being a historian, you really have a lot of different contexts that you pull from. You really have a lot of different perspectives. I remember speaking with Chairman Morrison, one of the things that he mentioned when looking for the next president was that he wanted somebody who has a global perspective. Dr. Vincent has been to Mexico. He's been to a bunch of different countries. In our interview, he talked about potentially collaborating with different universities internationally. And so we're, we're looking to see if there's any follow-ups to that. But bringing that global perspective has roots in, in knowing history and seeing how history can be beneficial to stewarding Howard towards what he says is maximum strength. But you did mention there too how, you know, faculty, they want to have a say in who their next president is. And one of the people that you talked to said that they wanted a president who was committed to the idea of shared governance, that they want someone who will listen and work together with all stakeholders of the university. So do you think faculty and all university stakeholders for that matter have found that in President Vincent? I think it's kind of early to tell. He started on September 1st, so it's been just over a month. And one of the things he mentioned is that in the next several months, he'll be going on this listening tour. We'll go to a bunch of different colleges of, of the university and kind of listening to the deans and the faculty and the staff to see what's top of mind for them. And so the professor you mentioned, Professor Royal, he's a professor in the music department, but he's also the chair of the Howard University Faculty Senate, which is this organization that advocates for shared governance, making sure that faculty, students, staff have influence on the on university wide wide decisions and so you know like you said the faculty senate was really pulling for a president that would be invested in this idea of shared governance that would be committed towards perhaps advocating for a faculty senate seat on the board of trustees which was eliminated i think last year or two years ago and so that's something that he really emphasized but you know as i mentioned i think it's too early to tell as a matter of fact he asked me you know if i have any perspective about where vincent stands on that after my conversation with him but People are really keen about whether or not Vincent is something who will actively advocate for people's idea of, of a good shared governance and, and how he may do that. Yeah, and that's especially coming after the controversies that our university has seen over the past couple of years with students taking over our Blackburn building, non-tenured professors walking out of classes and striking because they didn't see that shared governance coming from our top leadership. Before I let you go, JD, I did want to ask you You've now talked to the man twice. Is there anything that you think the Howard University community should know about the president? 
when you first shake his hand, when you first speak with him, he has this energy, this passion that's almost contagious. And when we were walking in, I was walking in with a hilltop photographer and the people who were staffing the, the receptionist desk, she had very positive things to say about Vincent. And so that was just by nature. We were walking in about to interview him and she was like, oh, he's great. He's fantastic. And so he, he has this contagious kind of energy. I think a lot of people respect him. He speaks with conviction and he's also very passionate about history. He has research material from the Mexican archives and he's writing his seventh or eighth book now about a jazz musician, Frank Etheridge. And so he's very involved with history. He's very passionate, very enthusiastic, very energetic kind of guy. That's more of the character side that I've noticed about Vincent. And, um, you know, I hope other students and staff and faculty can see it for themselves as well. Thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate your time. Absolutely. Thank you for having me, Juan. A second new faculty member just started at Howard. Michael Steele has been appointed as the new Gwendolyn S. and Colbert I. King Endowed Chair in Public Policy for the 2023-2024 academic school year. Elena Lewis, campus reporter at the Hilltop, is here to talk with me about it today. But first, this was some breaking news. It's my understanding that you got word that you'd be speaking to the new King Chair about 20 minutes before you had to sit down with him and write the article. Can you tell me what that experience was like? Yes, it was so funny because I had just gotten off the bus and I was walking up the street and our campus editor, JD, asked us, hey, is anybody available right now to cover this event? And I was like, I mean, I'm walking up the campus right now. I guess I can make myself available. And then from there, it was like, okay, get to campus in time, trying to find a spot on campus where it was quiet. And finding out who I was going to talk to, trying to read about this person, find out what I could. So I was kind of just thrown into the mix and like, okay. Let's see what was the meat I can take from this and go from there. Now, I mean, you, he even mentioned it in the article that, you know, he might be a new name to a lot of Howard students. A lot of people might not know who Michael Steele is. So tell us, who is Michael Steele? Well, first off, Michael Steele is the former chair of the Republican National Committee, RNC. He was the former lieutenant governor of Maryland. He was the first. African-American to hold both positions. He's been an attorney. He's worked in politics. He's been working as a political commenter. So he's been sharing his thoughts and his experience for a while. And he's actually native to the DMV. I want to ask you about what he hopes to bring to this role, especially being conservative. But before I ask you about that, I wonder if you could tell me a bit about what the Gwendolyn S. and Colbert I. King Endowed Chair in Public Policy is and what can students expect from him in this role? It's a honored position. It's a whole lecture series down in Brazil during her time at Howard as the Endowed King Chair. She had a five-part lecture series and all these lecture series are available to both current students and faculty. You don't have to be in the political science realm or public relations area to attend these events, but they do foster conversation regarding most of the time political policy and politics, government, everything of that nature. Colbert King actually graduated from Howard University. He was a commissioned officer in the U.S. Army. President Jimmy Carter appointed King as the United States Executive of the World Bank and then his wife, Gwendolyn. 
You mentioned the lecture series that people who take on this endowed chair position offer to the Howard University community. And Steele's series is going to be called In Defense of Common Sense, and it actually kicked off October 5th. I wonder if you can tell us a bit about this lecture series. So, yes, this lecture was called In Defense of Common Sense. I'm not sure if that's the whole entire name of the series or if it's going to be like different names every time he holds a lecture. But one thing he really emphasized while we were speaking, he wants students to walk away having a different perspective, saying that they understood the conversations that were had. He not only wanted to expand his political reach into Howard and foster conversations regarding the current politics in the current state of our country, but also put that into the community and get voters back in the conversation. And Mr. Steele said he does not intend on bringing anyone to campus that would upset the student body to the point where they'd be protesting or shouting on the yard. He plans on having intentional conversations with conservatives, moderate, a wide range of politicians to encourage students to not only learn different perspectives and different political party views, but also have an understanding of why some people have these views, why these things are manifesting the way they are in our current government. Elena, thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate it. Yeah, no, thank you so much for having me. Joining me now is sports reporter Armani Durham. She wrote a story this week about Howard men's swim team, which kicks off its 2023-2024 season this weekend with the Battle at the Bird 2. Last year's event attracted more than 1,000 people to watch them compete against Georgetown, an indicator of the team's success. Armani, I want to start there. What did their success look like last year? So the team did amazing. To start off, they did conclude the season with a 6-2 record, which is very good. They were featured on the cover of Sports Illustrated. This being the first time an all-Black collegiate swim team was featured in the magazine. And then following that, the men's team won the 2023 Northeast Conference Championship. It was the first time the team has won a title in 34 years. Like you said, you you mentioned the stereotype that Black people can't swim. Um, We've all heard of this. And Howard instills a program where students in the College of Arts and Sciences even have to take a swim class to even graduate. But I wonder if you can just talk to, like, what are some of the obstacles that the team faced to even getting to a point to where they could win or have a 6-2 track? I think it was mainly being underestimated when talking to the swimmers and the head coach and director of swimming and diving. It's just the fact that people don't think they can do it and that they put so much trust in that stigma that we can't swim, which has so much history behind it. And I think the fact that they're underestimated is what made it bittersweet when they broke records and then they just did things that no one thought was possible because a lot of other teams just didn't think that they were able to compete with them on the same level because of that stereotype. Mm Gracing Magazine covers winning championships. I mean, this is just evidence of a team that has put in the work and is now reaping the benefits. They're kicking off their new season this weekend. What does the future look like for this team? It looks like they plan to do so much more. The attention is on them and they're no longer the underdogs. They'll have a lot more eyes on them since they achieved so much. So in a way, they do have a target on their back, but it did seem that the team was going to use it to motivate them and use it to open more doors to more opportunities and continue to debunk that stereotype and also, in a way, inspire others and hopefully bring a positive image to swimming for the Black community. Armani Durham, thank you so much for joining me today. This was great. Thank you for having me.
Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode of The Hill Talks. Our theme music is by my friend, Terry Thomas. Thank you so much, Terry, for blessing our listeners with your great beats. This episode was written, edited, and produced by me. But none of it would have been possible if it wasn't for the hard work of our reporters at The Hilltop. Special thanks to JD, Elena, and Armani for joining me today. You can check out their stories and more by visiting thehilltoponline.com. We're taking the week off next week, but we'll be back on Friday, October 20th with the special homecoming edition of The Hill Talks. And before we go, I wanted to remind you all, if you didn't know already, that The Hilltop turns 100 years old next year. 100 years ago, Zora Neale Hurston and Eugene King founded the paper to become the student voice of Howard University. We're planning a big centennial bash next year, but to continue in their legacy and honor this amazing feat, we need the support of our listeners. If you feel called to give, you can visit our website and click the tab at the top that says donate. With that being said, this is where I leave you. Till next time, Bison.